Greetings in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John, the first chapter beginning at verse 35. We find John the Baptist out in the wilderness where he has attracted quite a crowd. He's calling people to repent of their sins and is baptizing many in the waters of the Jordan. And so we read, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. An unusual tribute was once paid to an actor in a newspaper notice of his death. Although he never was a leading man in any play, he was invaluable in secondary roles. Never a star, he accepted smaller parts and played them well. Well, this can be said of the disciple Andrew. He was never a star like his brother Peter. He was never in the limelight like Peter. The poor guy always had to live in his famous brother's shadow. When he was introduced, I imagine it was always as Simon Peter's brother. It's always Peter this and Peter that. But the great thing about Andrew was that he was able to accept his secondary role with grace. I think, he, I, I think he was quite happy to remain in the background and play second fiddle. Now, not everyone can play that role. A famous symphony conductor was once asked which orchestral instrument he considered to be the most difficult to play. Without hesitation, the conductor replied, second violin. I can get all the first violinists I need, but to find a competent and skilled second violinist who plays with enthusiasm, that's the problem. Good second fiddle players are hard to come by. Years ago, when the LA Lakers basketball team acquired the great player Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the, the headline in one LA new newspaper read, Lakers land Jabbar and second string player. Now, that may have been a great moment for Jabbar and the Lakers, but you wonder how that second-string player must have felt. I mean, not even to have been named. Well, I don't think Andrew would have minded. He seems that he happily played a quiet supporting role without jealousy or resentment, and, and that was pretty big of him, especially when you consider he was the first of the 12 disciples to follow Jesus and was responsible for bringing his brother Peter to the Lord. For all that, he wasn't given a leadership role. He didn't make it into, into the inner circle with Peter, James, and John. But president's place, honor, seemed to have meant nothing to Andrew. We don't have any record that he felt slighted. Maybe it was enough just to be near Jesus. He may not have been a star, but he played an important role nonetheless. And what was that role? Well, let's look at the gospel accounts of him. Actually, in the first three Gospels, there is no mention of Andrew except as one on a list. But in the Gospel of John, he emerges as a real personality. He appears three times in the Gospel. We see him first as a disciple of John the Baptist. 
I think that's kind of interesting because we don't always think of John the Baptist as having disciples, but he did. And uh, many of John's disciples probably thought that John himself was the Messiah, and so they would follow him. He was, after all, after all, an unusual man with a very strong countercultural message of repentance. He, he was the kind of person who would attract a following. Potential rivalry could very well have developed between the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus as Jesus became more popular. But John, to his credit, said very clearly, I am not the Messiah. He was always pointing away from himself to the one who was coming, whose sandals he was not worthy to carry. But one day as Andrew was listening to John, Jesus walked by and John pointed to Jesus and said that this was the one of whom he had been speaking. Behold, the Lamb of God. Curious and interested, Andrew and his friend began to follow behind Jesus. And seeing them following, Jesus turned and asked, What do you want? Coming from the lips of Jesus, I think there was more to this question than what one might think. In fact, this is a question he would ask each of us and would invite our thoughtful response. What do you want? What are you looking for in life? What are you seeking? Is it good health, riches, prestige, security? Is it a job, a career, a family, a house with a white picket fence? Are you wanting a great, greater measure of comfort and, and, and joy in your life? Are you wanting a more meaningful life? What do you want? What do you most want? If Jesus were to ask each of us that question, our responses would no doubt be varied, but that we are all wanting something more in life, there can be no doubt. We're all on a continual quest to find our heart's greatest desire. Well, Jesus asked Andrew and his unnamed friend what he wanted, what they wanted, and, and Andrew answered by saying he wanted to know where Jesus was staying. He simply wanted to be with Jesus, wanted to hang around him, to talk with him, to learn from him. Perhaps that should be our greatest desire too, to, to want nothing more than to be in the Lord's presence and to sit at his feet and to be taught by him. Andrew spent a long day with Jesus and he came away with one conviction that Jesus was indeed the Lamb of God, the Messiah sent by God. Andrew was so excited about meeting Jesus, so taken by his words that he had to share his experience with others. And the first person he thought of was his brother, Simon Peter. So he ran home, found Peter, told him how he had found the Messiah, and Peter believed him of all things. Peter must have, have had great respect for Andrew. In any case, Andrew grabbed his brother and introduced him to Jesus. We meet Andrew again in the gospel a few months later. A crowd had listened to Jesus for a long afternoon. The hour was late and the, the people had to return home. Uh, for some, it was a long trip. People were getting tired, getting restless. There was no food or money to buy food. The disciples wondered what to do. There, there certainly wasn't enough money in their, in their treasury to buy food for so many. And then Andrew stepped forward and said, well, there is a boy here who has five small barley loaves and a couple of fish, but what's the good of that for such a crowd? And then Jesus said, get the people to sit down. And Andrew brought the boy to Jesus, the boy and his lunch. And Jesus multiplied the loaves and the two fishes, and he fed the 5,000. The first time he brought himself to Jesus, then he brought his brother to Jesus, and now he brings a boy to Jesus. 
And the last time he appears in the gospel was Palm Sunday, the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus had entered Jerusalem in triumph, and some men of Greek birth were looking for him. They heard about Jesus, they wanted to meet him, so they went to Philip, one of the disciples, and Philip didn't really know what to do. I mean, Jesus had never taken much time to see Gentiles. His mission had been almost totally to the Jews. So Philip turned naturally to Andrew, and maybe it was because by this time Andrew had a reputation for being the introducer. Uh, but in any case, Andrew brought the Greeks to Jesus and introduced them, and I'm sure brought a little joy to the master, for he wished for people of all nations to come to him. So Andrew appears only these few times in the gospel, and each time he's always doing the same thing. He's bringing someone to Jesus. Brought himself first, then his brother, then he brought the boy with his lunch, and he brought these visitors from Greece. Now he doesn't play an impressive role. It's not highly visible. But without Andrew, there couldn't be any success. I mean, who knows, without Andrew, Simon Peter wouldn't have been converted, the 5,000 may not have been fed, and those Greeks may never have met the Savior. How we need the Andrews of this world. They don't get notices, the publicity, the spotlights, the praise. They're not the stars, but more like the extras. They're not the quarterbacks, but the linemen. They're always taken for granted. We remember the Peters, but, but forget the Andrews. They write no stirring epistles, preach no great sermons, don't win 3,000 with one message. They, they work no miracles. We remember Peter, but we forget Andrew. And yet, Jesus chose Andrew first. Why? Because quiet, humble, background saints are indispensable to the kingdom. Because nothing can be done without those humble servants who operate behind the scenes and who are always introducing others to Jesus. And that's why the Christian movement grew so rapidly in its earliest days. It was simply one person telling another person, a family member, a friend, an acquaintance in the marketplace about Jesus, saying, come and see, check it out for yourself. Today there's a tremendous need for Andrews. They may not have a lot of theological training, they may not have all the answers, but they are humble people who are eager to share what Christ has meant to them and what he's doing in their lives. You may recall the time when Jesus healed a blind man, and when the blind man was asked who healed him, he didn't know much. He didn't know much about theology or philosophy, he didn't try to argue with anybody, but he could share his story, his experience of Christ. All I know is this, he said, I was blind, but now I see. And that's something we can all do, can we not? I mean, if we know Christ, if he has made any difference in our lives, then we can share our story of faith. Perhaps we can begin with our own family, as Andrew did, or with our circle of acquaintances. We can say to a family member or to a friend who is searching or who is in, in great need, you know, I have found something to be really helpful in my own life. It's helped me to get my life together, giving me some direction and some peace and stability when I, when I most needed it. Have you considered the resources of Christian faith? It's made such a difference in my life. Maybe it can help you too. And we can say, well, why don't you come and see for yourself? Check it out. We simply invite others to consider Jesus. Perhaps you and I can begin by suggesting that they read a gospel with an open mind, a gospel which they, they may never have read. 
they just might meet Jesus in person. More and more people today have never read a gospel, let alone the whole Bible. The Word of God has its own kind of power. If there's one good thing about this COVID epidemic, is that it has stimulated a lot of people to think more deeply about the direction of their lives. People are looking for meaning and hope in the midst of a world in turmoil. This may be just the opportune time to invite others to consider Jesus. They might be more open to hearing about him than we think. Of course, all we can do is throw out some seeds, but it's the Holy Spirit who ultimately brings people to Jesus. Tradition says that Andrew traveled to Greece and preached to the people there and there uh, in Greece in the city of Patras. He became a martyr and was crucified on an X-shaped cross, supposedly at his own request, as he deemed himself unworthy to be crucified on the same type of cross as Jesus had been. He was bound on the cross with ropes, not nailed. And Legend has it that even as he was hanging upon that cross, in spite of the difficulty of breathing, he was preaching the good news and seeking to introduce others to the Savior. Andrew is also said to have preached around the Black Sea, visiting Ukraine and Romania and Russia. And today he's the patron saint of those respective countries. Legends state that the relics of St. Andrew were brought by divine guidance from Constantinople to Scotland to the place where the modern town of St. Andrews now stands. Another legend tells of a battle between the Scots and the Angles in the 9th century. The, the Scots were heavily outnumbered. And while the leader of the Scots was in prayer on the eve of battle, he vowed that if granted victory, he would make St. Andrew the patron saint of Scotland. On the morning of a battle, white clouds formed in an X shape were said to have appeared in the sky. And so, emboldened by this heavenly sign and his promise of divine intervention, the Scots went on to defeat the enemy against all odds. And so it was that St. Andrew became Scotland's patron saint. And it was this legend that ultimately led to the design of the national flag of Scotland, the white X cross on a celestial blue background. Andrew, a humble saint, who stood in the background, but who accomplished so much for the kingdom. Maybe we should make Andrew our patron saint and strive to be like him. For it's through people like him that God grows his kingdom one by one. Dear Lord, use us to your glory. Amen.